Throughout our um, waking moments, we are constantly making choices, aren't we? I don't know how many choices you think you make each day. I checked the Google machine, that great font of wisdom. The average adult makes 35,000 choices a day. I can see you running through your head now. Oh, I'm nowhere near that. <laughs> 35,000 choices a day. That's, that's huge. This morning when you woke up, you had to choose, do I get out of bed? Some didn't. <laughs> do, I, do I wash my hair? For some of us, that's not a problem. Um, what will I wear? What am I going to have breakfast? What am I going to eat for breakfast? You know, there's a dozen choices there. We choose what route we're going to take wherever we go somewhere, which is the quickest way, which will get us there without less roadworks. Is the slowest way actually a better way to go today? Australia used to be divided between those who chose Holdens and those who chose Fords. I'm a Ford man. I'm a Holden man. The choice of vehicles today is much bigger than that and so that's probably not a big defining um, choice that we have in our culture today. Maybe it's more about, oh, I'm a Mac person, I'm a PC person. Maybe it's iPhone, no, I choose Android. We sit down at night to watch television and we have choices to make. Growing up in New Zealand, we had one channel this was a long time ago, and it was called TV One, owned by the, I think it was the government then. That channel then split into two channels, same company, same government, I think, TV One, TV Two. Got a bit older, and a new broadcaster came along, and it was Channel Three, TV Three. They probably spent millions of dollars with marketing to come up with names for those one, two, three. <laughs> This is from the country, I can say this, this is from the country that chooses their names, their islands. The country in the north is called the North Island. The one in the south is called the South Island. It's great creative names. So we sit down and watch TV. Do we go live stream, uh, free to air, or do we go to one of our cable networks? What do we watch? TV series? We can watch three or four at a time if we want, back to back. What about a movie, or a documentary, or even sports? What about food? Do we go with the healthy variety? <laughs> or the not so healthy variety? <laughs> what about coffee? Yes, there are, if you can see that, 38 different types of coffee. Choose your coffee, but then what about the milk? Do you know that there are over 20 types of milk available? Full cream. Skim, raw, reduced fat, organic, UF, flavour, and that's just milk from a cow. We're going to choose, we go with cow milk, or we choose from these other things that can produce milk amazingly, nuts and grains. And then the really big one. What footy team do I choose? What footy team do I barrack with? Now, for many of you, that choice may be made by your family. This is the one we go with all, this is our team. Coming from Melbourne to New Zealand, we had to choose a footy team. What do we choose? Here's, I went all these choices then, but many of them. We did it a, a scientific way. 
All Red, our name. We come from the land of the All Blacks. Okay, Red and Black together. We barrack for Essendon. <laughs> At one point, that was a good choice. <laughs> Some of the choices we make are just for the moment, just for the day. Other choices have, have far-reaching consequences, choices that can influence our character, our, our, our destiny, our life, the choices that we make. And today's message is about one of those choices from Joshua chapter 24. We've come to the last book of this book that we've been travelling through for the last few weeks. Sean mentioned last week in his message as he talked about what was going on in that story that Joshua was an old man. Well today it says he was a very old man. Joshua's towards the very end of his life. The land has been divided up and allocated to the various tribes. The, um, the um, towns of, of uh, refuge, cities of refuge that Sean talked about last week, they have now been established and around the, around the land. The task of taking the land is finished. And so in Joshua chapter 21, going back a couple of chapters, um, Joshua says, or the, the the word says this, so the Lord gave Israel all the land he had sworn to give their ancestors and they took possession of it and settled there. The Lord gave them rest on every side just as he had sworn to their ancestors. Not one of the enemies withstood them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hands. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. So the land is settled, the battles are done, the people are now living in peace. All this time up until now, the, the three tribes of Reubenites, the Gadites and Manasseh had been fighting for their brothers. They were allocated land on the eastern side of the river, they crossed over the river, fought the battles with their brother tribes. Work's now done, so Joshua then sends them home to their homeland. We come to verse, no, chapter 23 and Joshua knows that his days are now numbered. They're coming to an end. So in chapter 23, he gathers the leaders of the nation together for his last words to them. And he reminds them what God has done, what they've seen God do. He challenges them in that, that statement, that address to the nation. Be strong. That theme that had come through so much through this book. Be strong, obey all God's laws, hold fast to your God. And then we come to this last chapter, chapter 24. And Joshua has the people gather at this place called Shechem. This is a, a very significant place in the whole story of the Old Testament. We first read about it in Genesis chapter 12, where God meets Abraham and there promised to Abraham this, this great unheard of thing for Abraham, a man in his, in his old age, you're going to be the father of a nation. That was here at Shechem. And as Abraham hears that promise from God, Abraham builds an altar. Later, 
Abraham's grandson Jacob comes back to this very place. He had just been fighting with his brother. They now reconciled him him and Esau uh, together as brothers again. And Jacob builds an altar here at Shechem. In chapter 8 of Joshua, Joshua gathers the people again at Shechem and renews the covenant God had made to his people. So once again, the nation is here at this place. The circle has gone right round. The great nation that God promised to Abraham is back here at the very place the promise had been made. And Joshua calls them back to again renew their commitment to God. There are three action points that um, jump out of us as we read through this chapter. And we're going to look at each of these three action points. Three calls to action that that challenge us, that, that confront us, what it means to serve God, what it means to follow the living God. And the first thing we see as we look at this passage is that we must remember what God has done. In the beginning of this chapter, Joshua is is speaking on behalf of God. And he introduces God as Yahweh. In your Bibles, if, if your Bible has Lord in capitals, that's the word Yahweh. The God of covenant faithfulness, the God who keeps his promises, the God who makes promises and then keeps them, the God whose very name, Yahweh, reveals his character, his, his, um, his nature. And God begins by reminding uh, the people where they've come from. Verse 2, Joshua said to the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Naor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. God declares how faithful he has been to his people. Since from the very beginning of their history, God was there. And it's always been about God always been about God's unmerited favour, his mercy, his grace, his goodness. And God says, remember that before you were my people, you were just like everybody else. You were serving other gods. You were not my people. You were like all the rest around you. You did not love me. You did not serve me. You didn't worship me. And this is what God is trying to get across in these opening verses of chapter 24. God wants the people to realise that they're nothing special. There's nothing special about them. It didn't start with you, God says. It started with me. It didn't start with you seeking after me. I sought after you. I came looking for you. I called you. I brought you to myself. It started with me and my love for you. There's nothing particularly special about the people standing in this land that God had promised them 600 years earlier. There's nothing particularly special about you. There's nothing particularly special about me. 
Paul reminds us in some sobering words in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God took the initiative. He came looking for us. He sent his son to die for us. He chased after us because he loves us. Abraham was nothing without the grace of God. Moses was nothing without the grace of God. Joshua was nothing without the grace of God. It's the same for you and for me. We become who we are. We become what we are simply because of Jesus and the grace of God. So chapter, the, the next few verses of, of this chapter, chapter uh, verses 3 to 13, is, is really focusing on this, the faithfulness of God, what God has done for his people. And God says, I was faithful to Abraham. If you want to just browse through those verses in your Bible from verses 3 to 13. God says, I was faithful to Abraham. I gave him Isaac. I gave him Jacob. I was faithful when Jacob's family went down to Egypt. I was faithful in getting Moses to bring them out of Egypt. I was faithful in bringing you through the Red Sea. I was faithful with you in the wilderness. I provided for you. I was faithful with, uh, for, for you when I brought you amongst the enemies and gave you victory over, the, over your battles. I was faithful at the Jordan, letting you cross the river on dry land. I was faithful at Jericho. I was faithful. I brought you through every battle that you faced. And then we come to verse 12. And the main point is, is, um, is um, unmistakably clear in verse 12. Writes, um, sorry, verse 13. Oh no, it's verse 12. Um, I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you, also the Amorite kings. You did not do it with your own sword and bow. It wasn't the expertise of your archers or your um, swordsmen. They, 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 they fought battles. I'm sure you've sat through some pretty horrendous battles that we've talked about. So it's been quite confronting, some of the stories that we've read in Joshua, and you've probably cringed. Well, how did God allow that? They were pretty frightful. The people fought, but it wasn't their skills. It wasn't their abilities that won the battles. It was God was there for them. Entirely due to God's power, as this whole book has made so clear. And verse 13 sums it up really well. So I gave you a land, God says, on which you did not toil, and cities you did not build. And you live in them, and eat from vineyards, and olive groves that you did not plant. 11 verses, 3 to 13, of God walking his people through 600 years of their history. Walking them through their history in which he was faithful. Everything they now possess, everything they enjoy in this land of plenty, God has given to them. And this is because the Lord is compassionate. He's full of mercy, full of steadfast love, keeping the promises that he made. Promises that began with Abraham on the very land the people are now standing. 
promises that God has kept all through his history, all through their journey. And because of that, God can be trusted. God must be trusted. The God of Joshua is the same God today. His character never changes. His mercies, his grace, his goodness is the same today as it was in the story of Joshua. So this passage must really be an encouragement to us to trust in his, to to remember what God has done and to trust in him. I invite you to take a moment and reflect on the times when you have seen God faithful to you. Ways in which you have seen him at work in your life, in your family's life, in those around you. His acts of mercy, his acts of kindness, his acts of goodness. If God was to walk with you through your 80 years, your 50 years, your 22 years of history, what would it reveal about his faithfulness to you? Maybe reflect on that this afternoon or this evening. Maybe make a list of all the things that God has done for you and for those you love. I love how Paul does this in the book of Ephesians. And, and the verse, uh, verse 3 of, of Ephesians 1, Paul says this statement, which I think is, is so full of who God is. Paul says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And Paul goes on in that chapter to unpack some of those blessings, the blessings of how, how God has, has blessed us with, with um, Adoption of sons and daughters, redemption, salvation, forgiveness, knowledge of God's will, the inheritance of the eternal kingdom. And none of this has come to us by our own efforts. We don't deserve any of this. We have not worked to receive this. God has given this to us out of his grace through the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. We are people undeserved of God's incredible mercy and goodness and greatness. God wants to cultivate in us a heart that is focused on him, a heart that is completely focused on his character, his goodness, that that we see him for who he is. We see him for what he's done for us. We recognise his mercy, his faithfulness, his grace, demonstrated in in so many ways in our lives. A heart that is trusting in him completely, wholeheartedly. And that's the second point that comes out of this passage here in um, Joshua chapter 24. God calls us to put our complete trust in him, to serve him, to follow him single-handedly. God has just said in these verses beforehand, this is who I am. This is, this is what I've done for you. I've been with you every step of the way. This is who I am. And immediately Joshua responds with a call to the people. Fear the Lord. Serve him with all faithfulness. 
Joshua throws this challenge out to the people. You've seen who God is. You've experienced his goodness, his faithfulness, his mercy in your lives. You've seen how faithful he's been to every promise he's made. This is our God, Joshua says. And now you have to make a choice. Are you going to follow him or not? So Joshua is exhorting the people to make a single-minded response to God, a wholehearted commitment to him, to fear the Lord and to serve him. The Bible often talks about fear. Fear is not a a paralyzing response to God, a terror that we have because of who God is. The fear here is, is an awe, a, a reverence awe, a reverent awe. A, a, this is God. Wow. It's that sort of fear. The attitude that we have as, as, as redeemed sinners, saved by Jesus Christ, and acknowledging this is God, and responding humbly to that. Uh, that, that knowledge of, of who, what he has done for us. So Joshua here is pleading with the people. He's saying, that there's, there's nothing more important to me right now. I'm at the end of my life. I've got one final thing to say to you. I'm pleading with you. This is the choice you have to make. You either follow God or you don't. Joshua knows that worship of God must be done without compromise. God will not share the people's hearts with anyone else, with anything else. And so Joshua says, throw away, Um, you you can translate that, throwing away as as abandoned, forsake, forsake the gods of your ancestors and serve the Lord. Get rid of these other things. Make God the choice for your life. You can't have both, Joshua says. So who are you going to serve? And Joshua continues in verse 15. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. Joshua says, if you've heard who God is, You've heard what God has done. If it seems undesirable, if it seems unpleasant for you to trust this God, then choose one of these other gods that you know. Joshua's calling the people one last time. And he says to them, you have a choice. Choose this day. Choose today what your decision is going to be. Don't put it off tomorrow. This isn't a decision we're going to come back to in a week, in a month, next year. This is a decision for now. Choose this day. And there's no less urgency for us today as there was in Joshua's time. You know what God has done. You know the stories if you've read the Bible Maybe you've even seen God at work around you, in your family, in those who are close to you. Maybe even in your own life. 
You've heard what Christ has done for you. And so you have a choice. Choose this day whom you will serve. Now, if you walk out these doors at the end of today and you haven't made that choice for yourself, there may not be a tomorrow. You may never have the chance again to revisit this decision that you have to make. Too often people put it off and say, look, I'll do it when I'm ready. I'll do it when it's more convenient for me. I'm fine right now. I plead with you the same urgency that Joshua had with the people. Choose today. Don't keep putting it off. This is about today, this moment, this place. So where's your heart? Who are you serving? Because the one thing Joshua understands is that we're always going to be serving someone or something. Notice what he says in this chapter. He says, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, well then choose who you're going to serve. He gives them their options. You can either choose the God we know, the God who's been with us every step of the way, or you can choose one of the gods you knew back in Egypt or you've seen around the nations that we're in now. But as for me and my household, Joshua says, we will serve the Lord. These are amazing words from Joshua, aren't they? In Hebrew, the word for serve is the word this, it's not this moment, it's not just now, but it's this moment today, this moment tomorrow, this moment next year. It's moment by moment by moment. It's a lifetime of following God. And Joshua says, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord today, tomorrow, the next day. This was a day of decision for the people of Israel. But there's a sense in which each day is a day of decision for us. Decisions that, decisions that confront us with all sorts of choices in the context of our lives. The choice of leaving the past behind, leaving habits behind, leaving the way the world wants to conform us into its image, leaving that behind and choosing to go wholeheartedly for God, living for God. The reality is that we'll either serve God or we'll serve something or someone else, ourselves or something else. So whom will we serve? Are we prepared to put our career before God and to God's hands, to let him guide us, to let him direct us, to govern our time, our priorities? Or are we going to commit to the work idol and strive and strive and strive to, to achieve and to um, have that status or that, that success, whatever that might be? Are we willing to put our future into God's hands, to trust him do we marry? And if we do, who? Do we seek God's direction on our education? We ask him for wisdom of how we use our time, our resources, our retirement, our gifts, our abilities. These are daily challenges that we face. We all serve something or someone. So who will you serve today? Joshua leads as a true leader 
from out the front. And he says, this is me. Choose what you want for me and my house. We will serve the Lord. And the people respond with this amazing enthusiasm. Verse uh, 16. They're willing to renounce all these gods. Okay, we've heard, we've heard what God has done to us. We know what God has done. And they say, far be it from us. It's absurd, Joshua. Of course, we will follow God. There's no choice. We've seen what God's done. We too will serve God. Augustine is attributed in saying that if Jesus Christ is not Lord of all, if he's not Lord of all our life, he's not Lord at all. There's no negotiation possible. There's no room for shared loyalty in following Jesus. No one can serve two masters, Jesus says in Matthew 6. You can either serve God or you can serve money. And we can replace that word money with any word that we want. So this is a great response from the people here in verse 16. And we might think Joshua would be overjoyed. Oh, fantastic. Let's go. But he responds, well, sorry guys, but you can't do it. I mean, what a take the wind out of their sails moment. I mean, they were on board. And he says, you can't do it. Joshua's not trying to discourage them. He's not trying to put them off. He's trying to highlight for them the seriousness it is of committing to follow Jesus, following God. And I want to close with that point this morning. We must understand this. I go too far, don't I? We must understand the seriousness of serving the Lord. This story that I'm about to share with you might sound a little bit flippant um, when we're talking about how it's we're to be serious and following um, God. But I think it emphasises what I'm talking about. A chicken and a pig. Well, there we go. It's love lost it already. A chicken and a pig are standing outside a church and the pastor's just preached a sermon on, um, on um, looking after the poor, feeding the poor and the hungry. And... The chicken says, ah, I've got it, I've got an idea. We can help by providing bacon and eggs for those people who don't have any food and give them something to eat. Oh, no, you don't, says the pig. For you, that only means a contribution. But for me, it's total commitment. Now, we can laugh at the absurdity of that. But that's exactly what Josh was talking about here. Total unreserved, unconditional commitment. That's the seriousness of what it means to follow Jesus. Not just giving God the easy parts, the egg, money, our time, coming to church on a Sunday. It's giving him our all, everything about us, our very being, our decisions, our wants, our desires, everything. Joshua says to them, do you understand what you're saying? Do you actually get what you're committing to? God is a holy God. God is unbelievable. He's beyond our comprehension. He's holy. 
Do you understand who you're serving? He's a jealous God. He's not going to share himself with anyone else. He doesn't want to share you with anyone or anyone else. And the people respond in verse 21. And they say, no, we will serve the Lord. We know the seriousness of this. We know what we're signing up for. They may not get it right all the time, but they're committing to be faithful to God, trusting God. And so Joshua says, okay, there's two things you need to do. Verse 22, you are witnesses against yourselves. You sign up for this, you're going to be held accountable. From this day forward, you're going to hold each other accountable, is what he's saying here. You know, there should be a level of accountability between us as as followers as well, between the people of God. If you see a brother or a sister doing something you think is not the way that we should be living as followers of Jesus, it's not someone else's job to hold them accountable or or to highlight that to them. It's our job. It's your job. If you're working with other Christians and you see things going on in the workplace that... um, It's not the way a Christian should live. Things that are said, words that are used, action that's taken. It's your job as a a fellow follower of Jesus to hold that up and say, hey, come on, that's not the way we should live as followers of Jesus. If you're at a party with other Christians, or you're playing sports with Christians and things are happening, think, oh, that's not really a good reflection of who we are as followers of Jesus. Whose job is that to call that out? It's yours, a follower, a a fellow follower of Jesus. God's holiness, God's reputation is involved here. That's the seriousness of following the Lord. And the second thing that Joshua says is in verse 23. He says, throw away the foreign gods among you. He says, abandon them, leave them behind, leave anything behind that is unclean, that's going to compromise your relationship with God. Leave it behind. So how does that relate to us today? What are the idols, what are the things in our lives that are compromising our relationship with God? We talked a few weeks ago about the strongholds that we need to knock down, have God help us knock down, remove. But what if Christ has come to your house, to my house, and there are things there that we'd be ashamed of, that he might see, that he might hear. If Christ could walk past your last week, what would he see? Would there be books that you wouldn't want him to see? see? Music that you wouldn't want him to hear? Could Christ come to your parties? If you're uncomfortable with any of that, are things that we need to get rid of. Choose this day. Take care of the things that are blocking your relationship with God. Throw out those things that are a compromise to the holiness of God. And I love the second part of this verse, verse 23, where Joshua says, throw away your foreign gods, those counterfeit things that come between you and and your relationship with God. And yield your hearts to the Lord. 
some translations say, incline your heart to the Lord. It's the idea of leaning into God, of snuggling up to him on the couch, living in his embrace, making him the centre of your everyday. So the people make their decision, they weigh up the seriousness of all of this and affirm their choice. Yes, Joshua, we will serve the Lord. After all that you have said, we know what the seriousness is, we will serve the Lord. And so Joshua closes with this this beautiful ceremony in these remaining verses of, of chapter 24. He renews the covenant of his people to their God. And he writes their commitment in this book. A, a document that's going to be this history of this is what we signed up for. Their commitment to serve God alone. And then he takes a great stone and he rolls it up to this big tree. Maybe it's the same tree that Abraham met God and God made this promise to him years ago. Maybe it's this, a, a new tree that's come from that oak tree. And Joshua says, this stone is going to be a testimony of this day. It's going to be a reminder of this commitment that we've made as a nation. Whenever you look back, whenever you pass this way, whenever you think of your commitment, you can think back to this tree and this rock, this stone, and remember again God's faithfulness. Remember again your, uh, God's grace, God's goodness, God's promises, his love. And remember again your commitment to follow him and serve him. You can think of this stone and this tree and you can remember that you are God's and God's alone. For us today, we have the same opportunity to do just that. The opportunity to go back into our mind and picture the image of a tree and a stone. The tree is the cross that Jesus died on. The stone is the stone that was rolled away. Symbols that can be for us a reminder of Jesus' sacrifice for us, what he paid for our salvation, for us to have this relationship with this holy and jealous God. And the resurrection that gives us hope and future. Christ is risen. He's conquered death. He's conquered Satan. He's redeemed us. He's brought us into a relationship with the living God. Sons and daughters of God. If we will but choose to follow him. If we will choose to make that decision to make him the Lord of our life. The one and only. The one we serve against all others. So the question today as I finish is really simple. Whom will you serve? Let's pray. Father God, you are holy, you are good, you are God Almighty. You are a gracious God, a faithful God, a God in whom we have every reason to love and to follow and to serve. 
we've seen as we've been through this story of Joshua from, even from chapter 1 we've seen your promises come true we've seen you rescue your people be there for your people provide bless and, and shower with your mercies Father we know we see your promises are, are realised in, in, in your son Jesus who came to show us how to live for you to show us the way to you provided this way through his death, his resurrection. In him we see your, your complete goodness, your graciousness and your love. Father, help us to serve you. Help us to come to that point in our life where we have to make that decision. Are we going to follow Jesus, going to follow God, or are we going to say No. Father, for those who have never made that decision, help them to come to that point and to, and to have that courage to take that step, knowing the seriousness of it, knowing what that means in terms of life abundant, life redeemed and saved, but also a life today that is, is so much worth living as you become the centre of our lives. And Father, for those who have made that decision but still need to be reminded of what we have signed up for, Father, show us how we can serve you better. Help us identify those things in our lives that are like idols, that keep us distracted and keep us from walking closely with you. Identify them, help us identify them, Father, and may we deal with them, not tomorrow, but today. Lord, as we go into this day, Help us with every choice that we need to make. May we make it with you the centre of our thought. May, you be, may our minds be singly focused on you as we seek to live for you, to serve you, to honour you in our lives day by day. Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness to us, for your goodness, for your mercy, your grace. We live to serve you today. And, and tomorrow, every moment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.